There was even some nonsensical thing that it only affected Chinese people. I don't know if people remember that, but that was actually a news item. But I remember thinking, wow, I know Wuhan. Wuhan's the most polluted city on the planet Earth. My favorite, though, was a photo in Italy, right? And you had these two guys suited to the max. You know, it looks like they were on their way to the moon. And you're like, oh, my God. And standing behind them were two guys in suits, not dressed up at all. Stories about respirator makers, same thing. They had stories about mask makers. They had stories about, you know, they, they turned getting the, the vaccine into like a patriotic thing, doing the duty. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a returning guest, Ken McCarthy, He's been involved with the early, early internet and still is involved today in helping marketers understand and navigate the internet, pioneered, you know, very frankly, a lot of the technologies everyone uses every day on the internet for marketing and for consumption of content. Over the past, I would say, two plus years, which is what we're going to talk about today, he's been involved blogging and writing every single day about what's been going on with COVID and all the treachery and and BS that's surrounding it. So as a listener, you may agree, you may not agree, but I think this is a vitally important interview. We're going to be discussing his most recent book, Unraveling the COVID Con, which is a compilation of the hundreds, and I mean hundreds, because I've read and watched almost every single one of them about COVID. So I think you definitely, as a listener, you're going to want to hear what he has to say. Ken doesn't make this stuff up. He's constantly researching, talking to people, interviewing, and learning really what is going on. So with all that, uh, welcome, Ken. Thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, if you would, I guess just, I hate to make you, re, you know, recant it or recount it, sorry, recount it, but tell me about how did COVID first come on your radar and what was your initial perceptions when you know it first came in the news and then we'll go from there. Well, I was looking at all the, the Chinese news stories as, as everybody was, and if you can remember, recall, and it's hard to recall, but you could, if, you know, we can if we think hard. There was a time when it looked like this mystery virus was just limited to China. There was even some nonsensical thing that it only affected Chinese people. I don't know if people remember that, but that was actually a news item. But I remember thinking, wow, I know Wuhan. Wuhan's the most polluted city on the planet Earth, maybe by a factor of 10. It's so polluted that it creates air pollution problems in other countries. It's a bad place. So I was wondering why they were getting their knickers in a knot by one respiratory death of a guy who was in his 50s. You know, Chinese guys smoke a lot. Like there is no political correctness when it comes to tobacco in China. And so this guy was a heavy smoker. He was already quite sick. He lived in Wuhan and he died of a respiratory disease. And I thought, how is that news? How Good is question, that a- Ken. Quick question. You say, have you been to Wuhan? And no, but I, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends that do business over there. They they get things manufactured, and and, okay. and they were t- they were telling me horror stories. Like one guy said, "Ken, they don't have birds." 
I, I haven't seen a bird ever when I was in China anywhere. And I guess if you go out in mountains or something, you'll find some birds. But mm. it, it's a pretty rough, polluted place in general. And Wuhan apparently is the epicenter of pollution. The way they get rid of their trash is they have this massive municipal incinerator. And so the place literally smells like burning trash 24-7. Yeah, not pleasant, right? And people were wearing masks in Wuhan just to get to and from work, not because of any disease, just because the air was so bad. So there's another thing people may remember or may not remember again because so much has happened, but Hong Kong was coming apart at the seams right before this uh, this this virus thing started. I mean, the Chinese were really having trouble keeping Hong Kong under their thumb. And what wasn't reported is that Wuhan had its own political problems. The people there were getting sick and tired of, of the pollution. They were they were really sick of this incinerator. They were sick of breathing, you know, poisonous fumes all day. They had their own protests, not on the scale of uh, Hong Kong, but significant protests. So it was very convenient. And that's what I thought initially. I thought, oh, wow, this is really convenient. The communists can shut down Hong Kong. They can shut down Wuhan and, you know, cool out all this civil disturbance. But on the, on the scientific basis, basis of this. I, I just couldn't understand why one guy dying of a respiratory disease was news. And then of course, then, then of course, there's the question of how do they even identify what the virus was that quickly? You know, how did they know it was deadly even? I mean, you know, it's like, there's so many, it's, I mean, I'm not, I have, I'll confess, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that normally science takes time and they didn't take any time at all. Yeah, no, it's true. It does take a long time. I mean, even, even if, if you get sick, you know, whether they think it's a bacterial infection or a virus, there's no culturing to see what it really is. I mean, in very limited cases, but, you know, if you get sick, they just give you broad spectrum antibiotics. So like even now, today, 2022 in the U.S., they still don't even do most of the testing that they could do to actually help people with what's wrong with them. So yeah, how so could they do that for this? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Some guy who was not an unlikely candidate to die of a respiratory disease, dies of a respiratory disease, and suddenly they go <laughs> full bore, you know, putting the entire scientific edifice of, of China behind finding this virus. Well, how do they even know it was a virus? I mean, it's just, it, it's kind of madness. And then the second phase, there were two phases, to three, well, really three phases. And most of us, when it was happening in China, were like, wow, I'm sure glad I don't live in China. Those people are crazy. You know, then it came to Italy, which made a certain amount of sense because there's a lot of trade between, you know, China's big in textiles and Italy is a huge repository of textile knowledge. You know, they're like some of the best textile people in the universe. And so there's just a lot of back and forth between two countries. And so it kind of made sense. And a lot of those mills are up in um, Northern Italy, which is the most industrialized part, not only of Italy, but of of, this, of all of Southern Europe. So then the next phase of the show was Italy. And what they didn't tell you about Italy was the following. Number one, that part of Italy, because it wasn't, it was bifurcated. They did not have mass death events in the south of Italy. They only seem to happen in the north. And the north is a valley. It's a huge valley. And it has a lot of air pollution problems as well. It's one of the most industrialized parts of all of Europe. Definitely the most industrialized part of Southern Europe. It's got the oldest demographic in all of Europe. And like other places, you know, everybody smokes. The other thing is they have a very, and I have this in the book, it's, it's uh, for a couple of pages, I reproduced some of my tweets. And I wish I had my book handy, but I would tell you, but it's something like they have two hospital beds per 100,000, whereas where Korea has 14, you know? <laughs> yeah. So apparently every winter, there is a um, overflow of the hospitals with elderly people coming in with respiratory diseases. Mm. And, it, and, and I also had, had the experience of getting sick in New York City. I got a really strong stomach flu once, like, and I was pretty 
sturdy and healthy at the time. And I literally could barely walk. I mean, it hit, it just hit me out of the blue. And I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what it was, you know? So I went to an emergency room. There was no, you know, national emergency or citywide emergency. I was on a gurney in the hallway for six hours after waiting two hours in the, in the, in the waiting room just to be seen. By sure. anybody. So, well, so the you, joke about like Bellevue in New York, people would die in the hallway or oh, die in the waiting room. They'd be there for days. I could totally see it. I could totally see it. So that was, of course, the third phase was, you know, first it hit China, then it hit Italy, then it hit New York. And there was all kinds of obvious chicanery around the New York story. For instance, they said they were parking refrigerator trucks outside the hospitals. They were taking photographs of them. Well, I know what a refrigerator truck looks like. It's got to have the refrigerator stuff attached to it. These were just regular trailer trucks. Right. So they were lying there. Then they were going on and on about, oh, my God, there's they're digging mass graves on an island off New York. Well, yeah, they've been doing that for the last 160 years. It's called Potter's Field. It's where you get buried if you don't have loved ones that have the money to, to, to bury you, which is a lot. By the way, that's a lot of people in New York City cannot afford a burial. So hmm. it's not un, it's not at all unusual for them to basically bulldoze a hole and put in a whole bunch of um, wooden caskets at the same time. But instead of instead of telling the truth, they had a drone flying over the you know, the burial. And they go, oh my God, look what we've discovered. You know, it's like, you didn't discover anything. This is how people get buried there. You know, the, the other thing that that was true, but they misled people as to why bodies were um, backing up in the hospitals. And that is because they closed the, the funeral homes. And, you know, you got, you got to think logistics, right? It's like when somebody dies in the hospital, normally the funeral home comes by or the city, if they don't have a family who can pay and the bodies removed. What happens if you've closed or slowed down the operation of of all the funeral homes dramatically. Well, within a week, the bodies are going to start piling up in the hospital morgue. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. But, but but of course, they presented it as, oh, my God, the bodies are piling. Yeah, the bodies are piling up. You're not removing them like you normally do. I mean, yeah, it's just so there was a lot of obvious lying. So I saw the China thing, which didn't make sense to me. I saw the Italy thing, which they managed to leave out a few really important facts. Then there were some weird things like they were recycling Ebola footage and representing it as what was going on in Italy. And there's a lot of weird Ebola recycling. So for instance, all those really fancy suits that are taped up, you know, you ever seen them where it's like a white yep. suit? Yeah, those are those are recycled from the Ebola scare. Remdesivir, of course, is a, is it a failed Ebola drug. That was the drug that Fauci said was going to save the world that apparently it seems like it's killing people left and right. What else? There was another weird Ebola hangover. It's like, it's like they try one scam and it doesn't work. So they just they just recycle it. You know, they, they get the same props. My favorite, though, was a photo in Italy, right? And you have these two guys suited to the max. You know, it looks like they were on their way to the moon. And you're like, oh, my God. And standing behind them were two guys in suits, not dressed up at all. And, and and I guess whoever took the photograph forgot to frame them out of the picture. You know what I mean? It, it, so, there, so one, it didn't make sense. The narrative didn't make sense. And two, they were obviously pushing the narrative really, really hard. Well, here, here's one. You're, you're from New York, right? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, 
the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Yeah. Right. Raised there, yeah. yeah. Okay. Did you ever hear a, a, a siren <laughs> when you oh, were in every New York? day? Right. Every day. York, I, I grew up every day to hear sirens. Constantly. Yeah, I grew up partially in the Bronx, and I can remember lying in bed at night as a kid and just hearing sirens all day and night. And so yep. that was the other. That was the other thing they said. Oh my God! Every time you hear a siren, it's another COVID death. Well, no, it could be a police siren. It could be a fire siren. It could be an EMT siren for someone that broke their leg. We don't know what these sirens are for. But if you're from Kansas, you would think, Oh my God, that's a lot of sirens. Well, yep. if you're right, so. A lot of prevarication. So that that's kind of what got me. And then, of course, you start talking to do- real doctors and real scientists. And they're like, yeah, we don't understand what they're saying here. <laughs> this doesn't make one, sense. One, yeah, one question. So we were talking about this offline. I mean, the amount of corruption you've exposed in different fields is like, it's unbelievable. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things you've found. At what point did you look at this and say, oh, no. They're really going for it. It's taken hold. Like this appears to be an obvious scam and, and they're really going for it. At what point did you realize that and why? I, I didn't really get it until they, until they locked us down. And that's when I went, oh boy, people are, people are really buying this. Because think about it, you know, never, I mean, there, there, there is a thing called quarantines, right? And if you're sick with something, you are often quarantined, kept away from other people. Yes, it is historically true that it, during the Middle Ages, if you sailed into the harbor at, at Venice, they would quarantine you for a while just to make sure you weren't, you hadn't brought anything bad. I think they did the same thing at Ellis Island. I get that sort of, but never before in the history of humanity, maybe in the history of the galaxy, maybe in the history of the universe, have healthy people been told they had to quarantine and certainly never have the has the entire population been told they had to quarantine. So when I saw that, I saw we were really off the rails. And then, of course, when when the two weeks turned to another two weeks, which turned to two months, which turned to two years, then I knew, oh my God, this they got they got us. They really they really did it this time. So what else early on did you see that uh, just made no sense that maybe people were not were or were not aware of? Well, I mean the fake masks, you know, the cloth masks. That was ridiculous. Everybody make a mask. That was a psyop, a psychological operation. You know, let's get everybody busy making masks, you know, and, and they, you know, we'll kind of recreate the, the war, you know, the kind of a war effort mentality where everybody's pitching in and making masks. And, you know, it was a lovely image, but, you know, I think it's pretty obvious to anybody who knows anything that a cloth mask isn't going to do squat. And yeah, the story is about respirator makers, same thing. They had stories about mask makers. They had stories about, you know, they, they turn getting the, the vaccine into like a patriotic thing, doing the duty. You're right. There was a lot of that going on. Yeah. And, they, you know, and, the, and the other thing is they said very early on, I mean, they said from the get go, like on the day they were shutting everything down, they said, you know, until the vaccine is developed. And I'm like, what? What do you mean until a vaccine is developed? Number one, it takes years to develop a vaccine safely. And so that's number one. And number two, who's to say we're not going to come up with a therapy? And I have video somewhere of Fauci really early on in April doing a, 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 he's being interviewed by the AMA's video podcast. And he's saying, no, there will be no therapy. I'm like, how the hell do you know? There's a, there's a big planet of yeah. doctors and scientists out there. You know, somebody might actually come up with something, Tony, but they were, they were focused on the vaccine from, from day one. And, and they were going to, and I think their goal was to keep us as miserable as possible so that when the vaccine was finally ready, 
they could tell us, hey, get the vaccine and you'll never have to wear a mask again. Remember, remember that? I mean, we, we have, yes. you know, and, and hey, if, you, if, you've, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. But if you are, you must wear a mask. You know, it was just. And then here in New York State, they had kids in masks until, I don't know, May? Children. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Oh, they still do, Ken. I still see it around. Sick, sick families, mentally it's, ill that still put masks on their kids. I still see it. Oh, are you seeing it? Seeing this in Texas? Yeah, it's not a lot. Like I, I, I express everything as, like, at least with this, in terms of percentages. For a while, everyone wore masks. Then it finally started going down and down. It reached a low of like thirty percent. Then it ramped up again. Then it went down to maybe ten percent. And then the past two three months, I've seen it creeping back up to like. 15%, but it includes families with kids. And it's just, it's a sickness. I see that. I just see pure mental illness. You know? I mean, I, would I, would I, if I were a legislator, um, I would call mask wearing a medical procedure, which I guess it is because we're supposedly wearing it based on medical advice. And it mm-hmm. does, and this, this I learned really early on this in March from a friend of mine, he's a painter, you know, not a, not a fine arts painter, but a industrial painter. He goes and he paints huge projects and he's a member of the union. And he said, Ken, you got to understand, I'm not allowed to wear a mask on the job. No, forget, forget COVID. We're talking about pre-COVID. I'm not allowed to, even if I'm in a, like a, an area where you'd kind of want to wear a mask, right? Because of fumes, lack of ventilation. He goes, we're not allowed to wear masks on the job until we've gone to a doctor. The doctor has examined us and signed off that we're healthy enough to wear a mask all day. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, that's how it is. And so I'm like, oh, so, that, so now they're just going to put everybody in a mask without any analysis, or evaluation of their health at all. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's just, uh, and now, of course, it's pretty clear. And then, and then, of course, you know, this safe and effective. Well, it's certainly not effective, and it doesn't appear to be safe if you look at the VAERS uh, database. So when you, you started posting about this when, and based on the comments coming back to you, based on your posts, what kind of picture did you get of the mental state of people? Um, my first t- post on this was actually a tweet, and I was, and it was February first, two thousand twenty, and I was just pointing out to everybody, I'm like, guys, Wuhan is the most air polluted place in the world, maybe in human history. Could we? F- and it's got, a, and the other thing too, it's got eleven million people. Like, if one guy dies in a population of eleven million. That should not have been news. That should have been, you know, next. Uh, so, so that was my first post. I got doctors, MDs, some of them, telling me how wrong I was, how horrible I was. I was involved in a, um, an, an operation here to stop what would have been North America's second largest coal-fired cement plant. 
uh, that was going to be built just 40 miles from my house. And, and it was like a done deal. Like they had bought off every politician, every news outlet, including the national public radio affiliate. Um, and nobody wanted to hear about any opposition. And, and people in the town that were opposed to it were afraid to put signs against it. And, you know, coal, coal is dirty, obviously. And, and cement plants are, are, you know, they're right up there with oil refineries and chemical plants. They're really dirty, you know. And but we prevailed. We fought for seven years, and we actually won. You know, um, but but here's the here's where I'm telling you the story. The guy that I coached from day one, but well, well, not literally day one, but like day two, day three, when the group only had forty members, and when I was done with them, they had four thousand paid members, and they were the, one of the biggest political forces in this county. He called me up and made a point of telling me what an awful human being I was. So that that was an experience I had. Um, uh, I had <laughs> I I had a customer. Who's also a guy that used to speak at my events, tell me, how dare you speak against vaccinations? Vaccinations have changed the world, you know, and um, maybe, I don't know. I don't know that people need to have 72 of them before they're 18. I'm not sure that's really necessary, but yeah, Yeah, so but, 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 but you know what? I didn't get. Oh, yeah. And then we had a neighbor, a friend of my wife, who when she found out we weren't vaccinated, said, well, I feel compelled to tell everybody that you're not vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, we're like, OK, oh my not, not, what did not, you do with that? My, well, you know, to my wife's credit, she she told that woman in no uncertain terms that, you know, you have no right to violate my medical privacy. Um, but I'm just told ta- I feel compelled to sue you if you do that. <laughs> I was on the board of, of the largest um, social services nonprofit in Ulster County, which is across the river from me. It's like where Woodstock is. And um, they had a committee meeting of the of the personnel committee and they and, and they presented at the board meeting and they were like, well, what are we going to do about these employees that that are claiming religious exemptions. And then the guy who was presenting the report said, yeah, I read their things and they're all quoting the same section of the Bible. I don't even think they understand the Bible at all, you know? And I I was livid. And I said, hey, number one, these people deserve our respect, period. And two, are you going to personally take care of anybody that has an adverse reaction? Then I wrote a letter to the board and I said, okay, I agree with you. I agree with you. You're right. We need to, but we need some procedures. We need to have a list of of, uh, approved religions, right? can't just be any old religion. It's got to be the religions that we think are valid. Uh, (laughs) Then you have to take a test to validate that you actually have sufficient knowledge of your religion to have a religious exemption. And I think if we put those two things in place, then I'm on board, you know, and and of course, everybody realized this is absurd. We if they want to, yeah. So I'm pleased to say that our little nonprofit, well, not so little, 180 employees, our nonprofit did not compel its low income, low wage, hardworking people to engage in a, uh, vaccine program that they didn't want to be part of. But it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. We have a lot of friends like beautifully, my neighbor to the left of me and my neighbor to the right of me also agree that this was utter bullshit. We didn't wear masks. We didn't do anything. Oh, good. Yeah. I went out during the, uh, you know, whatever lockdown thing is they had, there was still like, you know, everything was drive through, but I would get coffee. I'd go walk around. It was like, I don't know, living in, um, you know, what do they call it? Uh, you know, when the whole world comes to an end. The apocalypse. You know, like, yeah, post-apocalyptic times. Yeah, like there were certain nice things you could walk around and exercise. No one bothered you. No one was around. But it was just sad to see everyone so, I mean, terrified. Literally, some people were terrified of this. Just well, well, and you know, we had it pretty easy in the U.S. Uh, a friend of mine from who, who's mm. based in Israel told me they banned surfing. And then another friend of mine who's who's doing some writing for me. She's got an amazing. I'm going to publish this someday. She's got an amazing account of all the police stuff all over the world. And, 
you know, they had drones that were flying around broadcasting messages in Australia to people that were designed to take people's temperatures and do facial recognition. And I mean, that, that, that's a mystery. And I, I don't know when that will be solved. But how did those drones get purchased, programmed, trained and deployed mm. so fast? Yeah, they must have had them at the ready. You think, right? Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. So it's been a wild ride and it's not over yet. So now where I live, I I live in the cultural sphere of New York City. I'm 100 miles from New York City, but we get a lot of New Yorkers up here and we get a lot of the New Yorker mentality. And you know this, like, is there any more hypochondriacal person in the world than a a typical New Yorker? Fortunately, if you if you live there and you get to be in your your 40s, by that time, you're a grizzled, miserable wretch. So I'm glad I left. Yeah, because that's just what it was. You know, I look at my driver's license picture and I look, I still have the original one from when I first came and I, I look horrible. Now I'm so much happier and more relaxed not being there. And I don't want to ever go back there again. But yeah, yeah I mean, that's what it, it was typical. So, so there, so we, we have a lot more mask wearing around here than, than would be normal for the U.S. But we got this crazy thing. I don't know if it's happening in Texas. We've got people afraid of monkeypox. Now, why they're wearing masks to avoid monkeypox, I don't know. I mean, I think the way, and, and, and I don't, I'm not being mean and I'm not being homophobic, but I think the way to avoid monkeypox is don't go to orgies. I'm, I'm sorry to say that seems to be where these things are emanating. And God bless those guys. Let them have all the fun they can muster. But that seems to be where this thing emanates from. You know, you know what I saw early on is um, everyone was confused about what to do. Everyone was in a way left to their own devices. You know, some stores wouldn't even let you in. Some stories would let you in, but only with a mask. Some stories you had to do this. Some stories, you, everyone just kind of did different things because I think they just didn't know what to do. And there was never any real like guidance, come and go. And I think people still are in a state of confusion and they feel abandoned. So yeah, that's why I think some of them wear a mask because they think it'll protect them. And some of them do this and that. It's just, none of it makes any sense. None. And, then, and then now we've got one case of polio which, by the way, could have been caused by the polio vaccine itself. It's not unheard of for people to get polio after getting the polio vaccine. In fact, it's not unheard of for other family members to get polio from the shedding person that's gotten vaccinated. But anyway, we have one case of of polio in New York State, and now there are people here wearing masks because they're afraid of polio. I'm like, oh my God. I mean, it's sad. It's, It's sad. You know, and it's like, the other thing that tipped me off that they were not serious they weren't trying to help or protect anybody is, you know, they had advertisements running on TV. They had billboards, they had flashing lights, they had posters everywhere. How many commercials, which they could have easily done, I think every news channel would have gladly given 30 seconds an hour. How many times did they show people the correct way to wash their hands? I don't remember ever seeing that. I used to joke and say, how come they don't say, you know, help us fight the, you know, COVID. Make sure to spend time with friends and family, get out in the sun 15 minutes a day, have good sleep and vitamin D and magnesium, maintain your health as best you can and exercise. It was the polar opposite. It was all the worst things you could do to make yourself worse instead of help you. That's what all the advice was. And, you know, I I looked up some history of there was a flu outbreak right after World War II in England, and the signs were completely different. They were like, if you feel you have symptoms, stay home and rest, please. Uh, (laughs) And and I thought to myself, well, let's see, a couple of years before this flu outbreak, these people were in the tube uh, getting bombed by the Luftwaffe. 
So maybe they had perspective on what a real risk was versus, you know, a, a manageable risk. But the, the signs were commonsensical. They were, they acted as if people had intelligence. Terror and fear will also reduce your immune system. So they, so they were, you know, weren't letting people go out, weren't letting people exercise, you know, terrorizing. They kept the liquor stores open. And of course, oh, yeah, well, that's, that, that's important. And, and, you know, of course, predictably, you know, we've had more deaths from alcohol in the last two years than ever in history. Same thing with drug overdoses by death, death, death by drug overdose. So what, what else did you notice? Were there other turning points in the psyche of people that you observed? Like, you know, if you're able to step back and observe it from that vantage point, what, well, what I mean, you the, see as things went on? The fact that people went along with the lockdown at all and didn't say this is ridiculous. And then the fact that they allowed it to continue. These were sort of breakage, you know, breakage points, you know, where you could just see the society was, was breaking. You know, people were losing their common sense. I think the problem, you know, demographically two, is twofold. One, you know, we do skew to, toward an older population. You know, we've got a gray society. You know, I mean, look at our president. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you serious with this guy? You know, and yet he's he's president of the United States. Every day I, I meditate on that. It's like this guy's president. And the next in line is a woman who literally can't string two sentences together, whose only talent seems to be she was the girlfriend of, of Willie Brown when he was mayor of, of San Francisco. And that's how she got her entree into politics. I mean, it's not a, it's not a good thing. But anyway, so older people in general, not and it's not a rule because there are a lot of very, in fact, there were so many, there, not, not a lot, but every now and then the newspapers would deign to publish a letter from people in their 70s and 80s during this thing. And they stopped pretty quick. And these people were saying, don't shut down society on our behalf. Okay. We'll take care of ourselves. Thank you very much. We don't need to see people suffering like this. But in any event, we do have an older population and, and there's a percentage of that population that's really worried about themselves. And I'm, I'm afraid that was one of the things that helped push this. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the, the populations that was active because because you had you had people demanding the masks. Those were the most vocal. Unfortunately, those were the most vocal people. People that were against masks somehow didn't manage to organize, get organized. Some in some places they did. So right, but they were shouted down. I mean, yeah. Well, it's not just, only shouted down, but like you know, there was a, there was a case of one guy up in Canada that wanted to keep his Canadians were really abused by their government. He wanted to keep his his fitness center open, and I think they sent thirty six police cars to you know arrest him. Mm -hmm. It's like. It's like you can't be allowed you can't be allowed to keep people's head i mean that's the worst of all yeah 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 so i guess what i you know there was two levels to this one is seeing these obvious media frauds and then seeing the society just breaking down one when they accepted the the lockdowns two when they accepted the perpetuation of them three when they accepted the enforced masking because of course mm -hmm. we remember we were told we didn't need masks and then we were told we had to have had to have masks and they had to wear them all the time Yep. And, then, and then terrible things like people not understanding and wearing masks indoors. And some people wore masks while they were sleeping, <laughs> you know, but it, you know, that, you know, they, they, how, you know, who knows how many billions, it's got to be tens of billions of dollars in advertising promotion, scaremongering they spent. Couldn't they have spent some money educating people? You know, hey, when you're home, you can, you know, wash your hands thoroughly. People weren't even advised to keep their windows open. You know, get fresh air. It's really. It, if I ever had any doubts, what the the elites think of the of people, I, I have no more doubts about that.
they don't care about us one shred. And of course, when they, you know, there's the picture of New- Gavin Newsom having the dinner party, you know, at, at this place where I, I've been, it's, you know, it's $200 a, a, a seat. Oh, the French laundry. The French laundry, you know, and nobody's wearing masks. And then that that knucklehead in England, um, Boris Johnson, having a a big party with no masks. And and now Trudeau, I mean, was recently, you know, filmed getting off a plane in Costa Rica for vacation with no mask. And it's just, you know, these people are beyond beyond belief. But it, it buttered it buttered way too many people's. Oh, yeah, the other demographic that that was the problem for us as a country, as a nation, is that I think like half of Americans are getting a government paycheck of some kind or another. Either they're they're a teacher or they're, you know, they're working for the county or the state or the city or the town or the feds or every year, a higher and higher percentage of Americans are government employees. Hmm. Um, And, you know, it's a nice job. You know, you get paid and, you know, there's no layoffs and you have a nice pension and all right, I got to wear a mask, but okay, I'll do it. If the you know because the the boss is telling me your your boss is the government, <laughs> so yeah. I think so between the fact that our demographic is skewed older and and older people to a degree some of them have ex- exaggerated worries about their health and then you have all these and then of course the journalists got paid the lawyers you know if you're a defense attorney or a DWI attorney or a ambulance guy you know I mean a, you're not a personal injury attorney that business kept going so those guys kept getting paid. The doctors kept getting paid. The nurses kept getting. So there were these whole segments of society that had no financial worry at all. All they had to do was wear a mask. I mean, I was, I had to do something that involved an attorney. You know, it was relatively early on. It was probably still March, 2020. We went to his office for a meeting and he had a mask on. And I said, you know, this is bullshit, right? He goes, I just do what they tell me. (laughs) Well, well, nowadays it makes me laugh. The places that still require it now it's individual businesses, but it's all medical places. I went to go to like the skin doctor like uh, two months ago and they're like, oh, you need to wear a mask. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I'm not. I said, you want the money for my consult? Fine. I'm not wearing it. If not, I'm leaving. Your choice. Wow. So uh, uh, they go in the back door. Oh, okay. Okay. They'll see you. I said, do you even, I said, you guys are in the medical industry. Do you even know what the pore size in the mask is versus the size of a virus? I'm like, do you know anything about medicine? I told them they're like, uh, uh, you know, it's it's crazy that that that's the industry that's the most demented still about this. Remember that movie Idiocracy? Did you yeah. Ever see? yeah. And and he goes to visit a doctor and, and the doctor's like an, an absolute blithering idiot and, and is freaked out because he didn't have his vaccine tattoo. If you remember oh, really? that, if you ever watched, it's a scary movie. But this is interesting. You know, UK has national health, but part of their system they have a bunch of hospitals that are that are affiliated with Cambridge University. Pretty good school, you know. It's it's not a, it's not a third tier school. They stop wearing they stop masks in their hospital for everybody, patients, doctors, nurses back in June of this year. Oh, well good. Yeah. It's pretty late still. Yeah, it's 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 late, but at least they they did it. So do you what what kind of um permanent damage do you think has been done and what does that look like? Well, I mean, I think there's always people who have a you know, a proclivity to develop phobias, mm. you know, and, and, and they're on the edge and this just pushed, you know, I think that a lot of people, you know, we have on the, in the best of times, we have kind of a shattered society, you know, like families are kind of, you know, some, some families are intact, but a lot are not. How many kids are being raised by single moms? And that's not to, to slam the single moms. I mean, it's, that, that's just the situation they're in, you know, but that's not optimal. 
That's not optimal, right. you know? And so you have that, that's millions of kids. And that's strain on the mother, that's strain on the children. We don't really have the extended family anymore. You know, some, some families do have it, but, you know, things are, are so, so we kind of have a shattered society to begin with, which means people are, are we, there, I'm reading, I was just, just today reading about, can't remember the guy's name, but he spent 30 years studying induced helplessness, right? This is a scientific guy, science guy at a university. I'm like, he asked no him why he couldn't help himself. That's <laughs> exactly. But I'm like, now you talk about depressing. Could you imagine every day going to work and inducing learned helplessness in, in all kinds of different laboratory creatures and human right. beings? I mean, for 30 years, you know, God, talk about trauma. But anyway, he did a study with lambs. I didn't know lambs were, were lab animals but i guess in this place they were and bottom line is what they were doing the, the classic learned helplessness test uh, learned helplessness experiment is you you have a floor that gives shocks right mm. and so the the poor animal is in there and you just shock it randomly and it has no idea how to protect itself has no idea what's going on and it it becomes despondent and and depressed so they did it and the interesting thing was the young, if if a young lamb had its mother with him or her, they did not develop learned helplessness, even in this horrific situation. It was the ones that were isolated that developed mm. the, the problem. So we have a lot of isolated people in our society. We don't have a real warm, touchy, friendly society. And I wish I had the stats here. And I, God, I wish I remember what the source was, but it was really interesting. They were talking about the number of touches people get in the course of a day. And they were, they were ranking it by country. And of course, Latin America has a lot, you know, US was way down there, like to a ridiculous degree. And the, the lowest number of touches per day was UK. You know, we're just not a very touchy feely society. So anyway, my point is our society is kind of shattered in a way. There's a lot of people that aren't getting, that, that aren't enjoying the normal props that an intact, healthy society would give them. And when you have a, a mass insanity like this was that's enforced by the media and the government, and in some cases, the police, it's going to push those people over the edge. So a lot, I mean, we see the stats. What was it? At some point, even the CDC, the crooked CDC admitted that suicide attempts among teenage girls were up 51%. Yeah. Even 5% would be a cause for alarm. 51% is, is, is off. It's off the hook. It's like un, un, inconceivable. Mm. So, you know, and that's, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of people and, and where's the, where's the help for these people? You know, where's the help? No for one cares. People? Yeah. I mean, yeah. look at, like I've, I've told people about the VAERS database and they just go, oh, they just shrug or you know, anything you can say, people just like, Oh, I'm going to get my 55th booster. Uh, it's killed God knows how many people. Oh, well, it would have been worse if I didn't have it. It's just like, it's just amazing to me that people just say whatever they were told to think. It's crazy. I saw a clip and I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. I posted it. Apparently there was a study in Australia and this was government study. <laughs> that I can't even believe this number. It's so high that you're 37 times more likely to have a bad outcome if you've been vaccinated. That's what I, I mean. I just wonder what, what it's gotten to the point where, I don't know, do you think people are just demoralized or again, you talked about learned helplessness. Like, what do you think is the mental state of a lot of people right now? I would say, I would say down, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, there's a lot of resilience too. I mean, a lot of people are getting back to normal to, you know, and, and back to business, back to play. I was so happy to see 
we have a, a, a youth rec program in our village and, and all the kids go to it and they go and they play all day together and then they go home. And I, I, I was driving by just as it was dispersing and you could see there were like 80, our village is pretty small and there were like 80 kids. I'm like, this is great. This is great. So, you know, people are resilient to a degree unless they're not. But, you know, we're very social creatures. And if we're lucky enough to have a good social network, we can bounce back from a lot. I just worry about the people that don't have, you know, there's a lot of old, there's a lot of elderly people living alone. Mm. That was a problem Mm. before COVID. And now they're alone and they're being told if they breathe the wrong way, they're going to die. And and, yeah. Yeah. I've heard about, you know, deaf people. And sign language oh, and oh. having to wear a mask, there's been a lot of trauma in that community because it's very hard for them to communicate. That's like primary way is facial expressions, lips, et cetera. It's not just the signs. So yeah, it's, it's been a and, lot of terrible things that have uh, been done to people. Yeah. And then, you, and then you, you do see these flyers up, oh, you know, call the, the hotline, you know. Okay, that's something. I, but, you know, I, I don't know that that's really commensurate with the degree of injury that's been done. So what, again, what's happened to your perception over time? But, you know, in the beginning, you put, thought one thing, and then after a few months, you thought another. And what were you thinking a year out? What were you thinking now? Well, I'm fighting. I'm not thinking. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that we, we, better, we, better stop, we better stop this and turn it around. We better figure out how to do it, or, or this is going to go on till the end of time. Um, yeah, that was another weird thing is magically all of a sudden, once the Ukraine stuff started, COVID just disappeared, or at we, least for a little while. They said nothing. We, we had this local paper that's, I love local journalism, you know, and it's, it's a physical paper and I, I, I want to support them, but they have a banner. They ran a banner on the, the head of their paper above the fold for every issue. And it, I can't remember the exact words, but the paraphrase was, was basically get vaccinated or die. I mean, it was literally that, <laughs> that dramatic. And they ran it every week. And so one day I wrote them and I said, can you tell me who on your, your staff is a doctor? And on what basis are you giving medical <laughs> advice to people you've never mm. met? Mm. And they, oh, they, well, well, you're the first person that's ever raised that issue. I'm like, well, okay, well, I'm the first person that ever raised it. But how do you do it? But the, the, here's the punchline. As soon as Ukraine stopped, I started. Mm. That came off the banner, and now it's we. Now here's here's this is even crazier. Well, I don't know, crazier. Maybe it's not, but it's 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 in the, it's in the ballpark of crazy. We stand with America and Ukraine. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not going to spend. Well, we have spent our tax dollars on Ukraine. We apparently do have some military advisors in Ukraine, though we've we've done the nice favor to them of sending literally sending small missile systems that are 40 years old who's, you know, their battery operated, whose batteries died and became totally malfunctional, malfunctioning years ago. So we, we basically cleared out our inventory of junk munitions, called it, you know, valued it. And so when we said, hey, we're giving 40 billion to the Ukraine, it wasn't cash. It was like, well, let's get all that junk out of the warehouse, send it to Ukraine and call it, you know, up $5 billion worth of missiles. So we're not doing the Ukrainian people any favors at all. Let's remember too, before this all happened, the Ukraine was considered the most corrupt state in Europe. They, how many bioweapons labs do they, are they running for us? I mean, that, that's, that finally came out, yeah. even in a congressional mm-hmm. hearing. It is a major child trafficking hub in the world. Mm-hmm. They, their military is absolutely infused with, they call them neo-Nazis. I don't know why they put neo in front of them. These guys are Nazis. Oh my God. We have to, you have, you have to remember, like when, when the Germans occupied 
the Ukraine, they employed Ukrainians to run the country for them. So there's like generate there's multi-generational Nazis in the Ukraine. Like they were working for the Nazis during World War II. It'd be like your grandfather was like on board with the Nazi program because there were a lot of people in his neighborhood he didn't personally like. And the Nazis were willing to eliminate them and they were going to give him a paycheck. So there were tens of thousands of Ukrainian collaborators working with the Nazis throughout the whole of World War II. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that survives to this very day, you're saying? Oh, well, you know, some of that stuff's generational, you know? No, but you, you really should look it up. Um, I, I forget the name of the, the unit, but there's an actual unit of, of in, the, in the military of Ukraine that carries a uh, sort of a uh, adapted version of the swastika. Let me see if I can look up the name for you. And these guys are not just a couple of random malcontents. Like, they are everywhere in the Ukrainian military. Let's see if Google will allow me <laughs> to access information on these guys. Here we go. 2018, 2018, from Reuters, okay? Mm-hmm. Ukraine's neo-Nazi problem. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's called, the Az- it's called the Azov Battalion. Azov, that's right, yeah. The Azov Battalion. They were, you know, this is just like kind of what happened in Yugoslavia. You had this group called the KLA that was running the uh, Kosovo um, rebellion, basically. And the KLA had been designated a terrorist group by by uh, the European Union. They were known to be running drugs. They were known to be criminal thugs. <laughs> and then suddenly, because they were doing something that was helpful to us, they became um, war heroes. So it's just the same. Yeah, the Azov Battalion, the neo-Nazis of the Ukraine. There, you know, there, there are people that in Europe that really think that it would have been a better thing if the Nazis had not lost. Um, that, that they had the right, you know, they were against, you know, they're against Jews, they're against immigrants. Uh, and, and that's the right thing they, they, these people feel. Again, two years into it, what um, I've asked you this before, probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit more. But what was the game plan behind all this? And who, who are the puppet masters? And what is the game plan? You know, as of a year ago and have you resolved? I think it's pretty clear that this guy, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum in Davos, which we were all laughing at for years because they seemed so ridiculous. Well, you know, you know what? We, if you go, if you read the history, we laughed at Hitler in the 30s too. He was considered hmm. uh, ridiculous and somebody who was going to disappear and was ultimately not going to be of much account. Well, that hmm. was, you see how that turned out. And this, I think it's the same thing with Schwab and the World Economic Forum. I mean, they have literally been. Uh, cultivating young politicians, including Putin. Was that and apparently? <laughs> apparently, it's but that's yeah. I that, think he's one of their maybe their one of their proteges. That, oh my god! Uh, I, I on them. I mean, I really hope. I hope there's somebody, you know, not in their in their camp. But you know, she, the, the head of uh, China, he's a World Economic Forum guy. I mean, he's not he's not one of their proteges, but he goes to their meetings and speaks. They love him. You know, and, 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 you know, Trudeau, obviously, in, in Canada is one of their people, the guy that, that's I, I don't know if you're aware because it's not reported in the news. But the, the head of the Netherlands just declared that they were going to um, nationalize one third of or some some I forget the exact percentage, but I think it was as much as a third of all uh, uh, Netherland farmland uh, and, and, and reverted to nature as a way of helping avoid climate change. Did you know that? I know. I've heard. I've seen some of the some of the tyranny that's been going on there. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, it just so, it seems like Europe and the U.S. are just literally shooting themselves in the foot, and the other foot, and the hand, and then the head, and it's just insane. 
I mean, we've always had weak uh, venal, meaning corruptible, um, submoron politicians. That's always been the case. And normally they're bribed by, you know, local contractors, local consultants that want to get, you know, juicy consulting deals. Um, but now uh, they're being bribed wholesale by people with a lot of money and a lot of ambition. I imagine one of them is George Soros. I really haven't looked into the Soros thing, though he does seem to be funding a lot of lunatic activity. Um, but clearly the World Economic Forum is a huge problem. Uh, and, and the the program that all these lunatics are uh, enforcing, whether it's you know you know they're shutting down the the energy industry in Canada. I mean, what are you kidding me? You know, but they're doing it. That's all World Economic Forum stuff. They had somehow conned the, the farmers of uh, Sri Lanka into the idea that mm. if, they, if they cold turkey went organic, and I'm all for organic. I think we could be doing way more of that. And and I saw a really interesting paper recently that said, look, if you mix some organic practices, you can actually reduce the amount of um, chemical fertilizer you need. I'm all for that, right? But you yeah, can't, call, you, what's that? I am too, but not for mandating it with no research, no reasoning, no nothing behind it. Well, you can't, you can't cold turkey it, you know, I mean, for better or worse, we are dependent. And if we're going to get off, we have to do it in a measured way. So I don't know if you know, in Sri Lanka, they basically told the farmers, you know, because, you know, we're, we have some education at least, you know, and so we have some degree of skepticism, but when you're in some of these undeveloped countries and you're a farmer, you know what you learn from your parents and your grandparents But then some guy with a fancy suit, you know, who seems to have all the money in the world tells you, here's the modern way. There was a situation not that long ago, 15, 20 years ago, where they had conned a bunch of Indian farmers into going, you know, with the GMOs and and the Roundup and everything. And it it was failing. And these guys were killing themselves because, you know, that they had they had bet the farm based on the inducements of, of this nonsense. And they bet the farm and lost bet the farm and lose in those countries. You're not coming back like it's the you've you, you know, it's like in the U.S. you get on welfare. You know, maybe some of your other relatives have a little bit of money. But, you know, in these other countries, there's no margin for error. So anyway, it was it was interesting that the, the, the people in Sri Lanka rose up and actually literally surround the presidential palace in an ocean of people. And all the, the, the heads of that country had to flee. I just recently interviewed a guy in Panama. He said there's been gas shortages and riots. Another guy in Ecuador, same thing. I've spoken to some people in Pakistan. They're having unrest. I'm starting to see it in a lot of places in the world. And of course, the news says nothing. It's extraordinary, huh? How they manage how they manage not to report it. Here's here's an interesting little thing that I I got from one of my friends. So this guy had a really interesting, really fascinating guy. New Yorker, grew up in Queens, rough guy. You know, was in a gang, but straightened himself out. Went to FIT, Fashion Institute Technology. Got a like an associate degree in, in textile manufacturing. And at 19, he was he was traveling the world, uh, helping uh, build textile factories around the world. So this guy, and most of those, of course, they're in third world places because they're going after the low wage places. So this guy really knows the third world. He's You name the country, he's been there. You name the remote place, he's been there. Right? So he said to me, he, and he's also, now he's back, he's here, he's, he's doing other businesses. And now he's got some horses. You know, I live in horse country and he's got some horses and he's gone, we're being told that there's a grain shortage for horses. He goes, that's bullshit. And I said, well, I said, Joe, but I hear that, you know, the Ukraine, they can't ship the, the, the weed out of Ukraine. He goes, listen to me, Ken, <laughs> every place I've been in this world, every place I have seen 
bags of rice and wheat with, with grown in the USA stamped on them. We, we're the ones, and corn, we're the ones. It's not Ukraine. He goes, I'd never been anywhere, a bag of wheat that had Ukraine. And I'm sure the Ukraine does feed certain countries and, and not getting the, the wheat out of the Ukraine is a problem for, for, for a regional thing. But, but if they're telling us that there's a shortage of grain and wheat and oats and all this kind of stuff, that's bullshit. There are, someone's creating the shortage because it's the U.S. that has been growing all this stuff all these years and, and exporting it everywhere. So that was very interesting. You know, you, you, you get little pieces of reality from real people sometimes. Like my friend that's, yep. that yep. was the union painter. And he, he explained to me because I didn't, what did I know about masks? It didn't, didn't make sense. Yeah. That, you know, but when he said, Ken, I, I'm a grown man. And I'm not, I'm not allowed to wear a mask on a job unless I've got a, unless I've gone to the doctor and gotten a clean bill of health that I'm strong enough to wear a mask, you know? And so here's a guy that's been all over the world telling me if there's a grain shortage, it's not because the grain's not coming out of Ukraine because all the grain you see around the world has come out of the Midwest of the United States. Well, Ken, I close to being out of time, but um, I do want to come back to your book. So where can people get it? Let's restate the name. And um, again, just a quick summary of what what they'll get out of reading it. Okay, I've got, I now have two books and I'm working on a third. One of the books is called Unraveling the COVID Con. What it is, is um, my blog post starting in early March and, and they're time stamped, date stamped. So you can see what I was saying at when I was saying it. And it's a way of retracing, you know, where we've been you know, this weird trip we've all been on the last two plus years. So, so that, that's kind of a useful part of that book. Also, my, my, you know, you, you'll appreciate this as a, as a, as a business person. It's like, I had to do something to, to, I mean, you know, I'm not going to make any money on this book, but something to monetize all these blog posts that I've been writing, you know? So if anybody wants to see where we've been starting March 9th to, I think my last post was in uh, June and, and to see what was knowable. Uh, you know, because I, I point out the, the the holes in this in the narrative from day one, right? But the second thing I've done that I'm I'm very proud of is we've put out a 75th anniversary commemorative edition of the Nuremberg Code, hmm. and surprisingly, until we did it, there was no place that you could go to Amazon and buy a copy of the Nuremberg Code. So we are the first to have that. You can um, buy mine, Tom. So don't worry. I, well, how do you like that, right? And let me let me tell you this. I did a, I did a Google search and I typed in the string seventy fifth anniversary Nuremberg Code. How many results do you think I got? Zero. Zero. And then I typed in seventieth anniversary Queen Elizabeth, twenty two million. Hmm. So and then and then I'm, we're doing a third book called the Nuremberg Code and its modern enemies. So everybody watch for that. But but in the meantime, if you get my Nuremberg Code book, it'll remind you that that book's coming and you can you can actually have the, a copy of the Nuremberg Code in your own house. But one of the things we're doing in our in our third book, The Nuremberg Code and Its Enemies, is we're tracking all the the reporters and nonprofits and fact-checking organizations that went on a blitz the last two years to tell us, and you might have missed this, but you'll see it in the book, to tell us that the Nuremberg Code does not apply to COVID. <laughs> I mean, that was a cottage industry. I mean, I'm telling you, we, we haven't even been able to count so far. We haven't gotten to the end of the list of all the articles that, that we were spewed in the last two years, not commemorating the Nuremberg Code, but telling us it didn't matter. And then 
sorry to keep going on, but I want to tell you one other thing. I'm working with a woman who's an expert in this matters. I mean, she was a, she's a Holocaust victim personally, and she's been you know studying this and working with scholars for over 20 years on this very subject. And she says the day, virtually the day the Nuremberg Code was published, you had doctors saying it doesn't apply to us. Huh. Yeah. All right. Well, so, so what website can people go to to see all you know your current blog posts and what are some resources for listeners? So if you go to KenMcCarthy.com, K-E-N-M-C-C-A-R-T-H-Y.com, you know, the normal spelling, you'll see a mix, a weird mix of my marketing articles and my COVID articles because COVID just took over my life the last two years. And then you'll, uh, if you go to Amazon and type in Ken McCarthy, by the way, there's another Ken McCarthy that writes novels. That ain't me. (laughs) But you will see Unraveling the COVID Con. You will see the... Uh, the commemorative edition of the Nuremberg Code. And uh, you will also soon see our, well, in September, you'll see our book, uh, the, the Nuremberg Code and its modern enemies. And we name names. Okay. And last item, um, you know, edited this out, but should we mention Brass Check or no? Oh, yeah. And then I've got, yeah. See, I've had been this sort of, not schizophrenic, but I've, I've kept a firewall between my business and my alt reporting. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing the alt reporting since 97. And I call it Brass Check. It's in honor of Upton Sinclair and the great book he wrote about the, the news media, the critique he wrote of the news media called The Brass Check. And I've always kept those two things completely separate because people that are interested in alternative news don't give a rat's ass about my business. And people that want to make more money from their businesses don't care about alternative. They don't care about me as an alternative news source. So I always mm-hmm. kept these two things separate. But with COVID, I just felt like I can't keep them separate anymore. It's too it's too complicated. So so I do have a website called brasscheck.com. It, we used to be all text. And then when when it, we went, when then when the world went video, we went video. So if you go to brasscheck.com, you'll see an archive of all of our, our print articles, which are many hundreds of them. But if you go to the, if at the very top, you'll see, if you're looking for the video site, click here. The video site is our up-to-date current portage and it's, and it's video based because everybody loves video. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Ken, thanks for taking the time. And, and honestly, bottom of my heart, thank God for people like you and thank you for what you do and covering all this, this terrible corruption. It's just never ending, but thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. And, you know, life's never been a picnic, you know, it's always been a struggle and, you know, that's part of life. And so we're, we're going to struggle and we're going to, we're going to prevail. Excellent. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.